All right. Let's get going. Grab a seat, everybody. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not going uh, to be afraid to admit this, but every, every once in a while, every once in a while, I can jam on some Beach Boys. Anybody else? John Locke, I know you can jam on some Beach Boys, right? How, how many of you guys, like, that was your generation, right? The Beach Boys are, they were like your boy band, okay? And now they're like your grandpa band, you know what I'm saying? Um, but the Beach Boys sang this song, um, and I know none of the words except the, the, the lick, the line, the, the main theme. Wouldn't it be nice? You guys remember that song? Wouldn't it be nice? I don't even know what, it may be, it may be a horrible song, like what it goes on to say. Um, but that, that phrase is really, really interesting because I've caught myself um, saying that phrase attached with uh, like some, some dreams, okay? Guaranteed, guaranteed, okay? You've heard on the news or you've read in a wherever that, you know, the, the mega millions or whatever they even call it now, uh, that it's like some massive, you know, astronomical proportion that tonight someone's going to win a trillion dollars or something. 100%, okay? 100% you've done this. You walk into QT, because that's just what we do, okay? You walk into QT, and you, and you think to yourself, man, wouldn't it be nice if, like, God and his sovereignty right now, right? Come on. If God and his sovereignty right now, like, if I just went up to this, and I just, I said, look, just give me, just, I just need one ticket, right? And then it, it now it just has your mind, right? And so you, like, pay for your for me, you pay for your uh, chocolate long john and your diet Pepsi, the breakfast of champions. Um, you pay for that, right? And then you're, you're still thinking about it. You're like, this man would be no big deal with one trillion dollars, you know? And then you get to your car and you're still like pondering it, right? Like, wouldn't it be nice? And God, like, I, I, would, I will tithe on this, Lord. Like, I will, <laughs> you know, like, I will do whatever it is that you desire me to do. And I'm not making a uh, making a commendation for the lottery. I'm just saying you've thought about it, okay? Uh, I, I've thought about that before. Like, wouldn't it be nice if I could just, like, eat whatever I wanted and never gain a pound? Do you guys, right? So I went through this season where I, I was a youth pastor for many years, and what I realized was is that students, at least in my community, we were on a pretty steady diet of pizza and Mountain Dew, okay? And the bad thing was I had the key to the soda machine, okay? which is like every youth pastor's wildest dream, right? If I can just have the key to the soda machine, then it's on. And what, what started to happen is I started to gain a pretty insurmountable weight. Unfortunately, some of my friends, like the locks, never challenged me and said, hey, hey, buddy, maybe you should cut back on the Papa John's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? But have you ever had that thought before? Like, man, wouldn't it be nice if, if I could just like, whatever, like chocolate cake, you know, on top of a pizza with ice cream and whipped cream and douse in Mountain Dew with a strawberry on the sides for good looks? Like, wouldn't it be nice if I could eat all that and just not um, be affected? Guaranteed, when you, ha- when you brought a, new- a newborn home, come on, parents, there was this moment for sure where you were like, wouldn't it be nice? And you said it with your teeth uh, and your fist clenched. You're like, wouldn't it be nice if we could get one night of sleep around here? And you actually, like, you yelled that at your spouse like it was their fault. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just sleep, right? And you're like going... Yeah, like I'm with you, honey. Uh, how many of you are like, you feel like you're a one spouse wonder w- with a newborn? Like you're like trying to wake up your spouse, right? And they're not having it. Any of you guys? Okay, that same spouse is sleeping now, so they're unaware <laughs> of what's going on. Um, <laughs> so I've thought about this idea of wouldn't it be nice, not just in terms of some of the, the physical things, but 
but also just in our walk with the Lord. Um, I think often, uh, wouldn't it be nice if today was the day? If today was the day where, um, like, the battle against my flesh just seemed to not be a battle. That literally everything that I did today, word, uh, deed, um, every conversation I had, like every pace and step that I walked, wouldn't it be nice if today, um, at like an unbelievable amount of faith in what the Lord would do, that I lived like today was really all His? I think about that often, and unfortunately, and I would even say unfortunately until tonight, that kind of day seemed unreachable. Um, that kind of day just... It's like, yeah, that's, that's a nice Christian pipe dream, right? Like, there'll be one day where I just don't even think about my flesh or don't even think about the things that, you know, can distract me so quickly. Today is just the Lord's. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like, I, yeah, I have those thoughts too or I have those dreams or those kinds of understandings, but I don't know. It just seems like a distant reality. It seems like it's some idea that I'll never, ever touch or reach. Um, listen, tonight I want to say uh, and communicate... Um, a lot of very bold things to you, if you don't mind. And I want to begin that whole journey um, in light of this idea of wouldn't it be nice. I just want to ask you, uh, from Romans chapter 6, verse 6, I just want to ask you, is this true? Like there are certain times in our journey together where we just have to pause and read a passage and just like you ask you and me ask me and all of us ask one another, is this true? It's in the Bible. I mean, it's in Romans, chapter 6. Romans scares some of you, okay? Not just because of its length, but because of its deep doctrine and theology. I'm just asking you guys right now, like you as you sit there, is Romans 6, 6 true? Okay? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to, what's the word there? Might be brought to nothing, okay? So that we we would no longer be enslaved to sin, Like, is this true? In other words, let me ask you this. When Jesus says the words, it is finished on the cross, uh, mind you, pre-resurrection, do those words mean anything? Like, was it just a nice place for like a movie line that we would later celebrate around Easter? Oh, man, Jesus said it is finished. What a great, impactful line, you know, and the people who do the passion plays, like it's in the script with exclamation points, it is finished. Do those words mean anything to you? Does the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus actually mean that our sin has been crucified with him? Uh, Say it another way, that the old man is gone, and 2 Corinthians 5, that the new man or the new creation has become our identity. Do we believe these things? Um, what I'm going to challenge you with is our life and our language say maybe not. Uh, There's a lot of things that we have communicated as believers that indicate, I'm not so sure if Romans 6.6 made the cut. I mean, it's a nice verse every once in a while, but I, I don't know that I'm really living in light of that. So if you're curious or interested, or even if you're just here sitting in a black seat, I'm going to pray that God does the work. And we're going to go for it. We're going to say some bold things to one another, uh, mostly me to you, and hopefully the Lord to you. And uh, we're going to see what the Lord does tonight. Is that cool? So let's pray. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, um, 
I'm just, I'm so thankful that even in my inconsistency that, that you're faithful. I'm, I'm so, I'm so grateful, God, that in all my brokenness, um, that you're not. And um, tonight, uh, collectively, um, believers in this room and even those just here out of curiosity, uh, I'm just praying that, that you'll do a massive transformative work in us, God. Reshape our language, reshape our understanding. God, help us believe that we're, the words it has finished um, are not just a nice passion play line, but that they mean something. So we pray all this in your name for your glory and all God's people said, amen. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2 if you could. Um, the premise from last week is that um, assurance means something. Uh, I, I sh- shared with you guys last week that wrestling with the question, is my faith real, is, is a good thing. I've often thought myself, like if I ask people, hey, is your faith real, that they would like, have to wrestle with doubts that maybe they shouldn't. The problem is, we saw in Corinthians this text, like examine your faith, test if it's real. But once we test that it's real, and then we can move on to the author and perfecter of our faith, there's, there's some freedom and assurance. You guys know this if you ever taught your kids to swim, right? Like the first time that they were like standing there on the side that you so just wanted to push them in so they, they know they wouldn't die. Don't you remember that moment, right? You're like trying to teach them, just jump in, like for the love, you know? And they got their little dinghies or whatever they call them now, right? And they're like, you know, they look like a, you know, a big marshmallow and... You're like, you're like, you're not, you have all of this protective stuff around you. You're going to be okay. And then finally, very reluctantly and skittishly, they do it, right? And some of your kids start crying and others of your kids, like my two boys, are fueled because they like pop up out of the water like, sweet mother, right? We're alive. And so then what do they start doing? Like what once was skittish or what once was like, you know, kind of tippy-toeing, now it just, it's full on. It's from everywhere. It's Dawson saying, Daddy, can I jump off that up to the roof? Can I? Will that work? Right? And like all of a sudden, the, the life of assured, like I'm going to be okay, represents itself. But at the same time, that life of assurance can get complacent when you start taking for granted that it's still something special. Hear what I'm saying here, Right? If all of a sudden now you, you don't uh, take into consideration the fact that this is water and that a high jump can actually do damage, right? And so then all of a sudden you start taking the assurance for granted and I was with a group of dudes, okay, 15, 16 of us, and as dudes do, you start getting creative and, and you are like, okay, so I think by the trajectory of this roof with where the pool is, and a buddy of mine from college like thought it would be really, really smart and he did like a flip off of the roof into the pool, and there was this moment where, like, he goes, has two kids, right? Like, what could happen in that moment? What I'm saying is just because you have assurance doesn't mean that it's going to lead to freedom. It can very easily as well uh, lead you astray. So I want to wrestle with those things tonight. Let's start here in Colossians chapter 2 after this amazing section on the riches of assurance. Verse 6 says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... As the gift of Christ, the unmerited, undeserving gift of grace has been given to you as you have received that gift, the scripture says, so walk in him. How many of you guys love to walk? Come on, come on, right? Okay, this is like the telltale indication of our body right now. I say, how many of you guys want to walk? Literally five of you, okay? So just for comparative sake, how many of you guys like to run? Okay. 
It seems like the walkers would be more in demand. And I don't mean that in a Walking Dead sort of way. I mean that in a, like a logistic <laughs> sort of way, right? <laughs> I'm really glad that some of you got, uh, some of you got that. That make, makes me feel better about my heart. Um, so um, there was this one night, okay, and you're going to have to bear with me here. There was this one night randomly where I woke up and I get up super early. And I was just like, today, I'm just going to walk. To, uh, I'm going to walk to the church building, okay? And uh, I was thinking this was going to be a great idea. And many of you guys know I, I live a mile and a half away or so. And uh, so it's like, whatever, 3.30, 4 in the morning, put my backpack on. And, and, my, and I was so enamored by what happens when you're all alone at 4 in the morning walking. First of all, it can be slightly scary, especially when you don't conceal and carry, okay? Like, <laughs> there's this, like... There's like when my biggest weapon is my iPhone, you're like, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if this is going to do much. So like, you know, as people like, and there were a couple of people that were walking as well, but you're still like, you know, you're like kind of like you, you cross shoulders with no other traffic around. But I started noticing like how quickly I got in a pace, right? And I didn't have my headphones, but the moon was out and it was super, super quiet apart from the cars coming down. And walking was so, um, for lack of a better term, therapeutic. And I, man, this, this like walk turned into this, this unbelievable two hours. I mean, I'm a really slow walker. You're doing the math now. You're like, an hour and a mile and a half, two hours? What kind of fitness shape are you in, right? Um, but it's interesting that this concept of walk is all throughout the scripture. What does it mean to walk in him? Uh, I know this for sure, is that most of you, if not all of us, have had a misperceived uh, idea about what this means. What does it mean to walk in him, okay? I want to unpack that a little bit. And to do that, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 2. I want to tell you a really cool story. Uh, so we were sitting down with good friends, uh, Pastor Lonnie and myself, some good friends of mine. And um, I rarely, if ever, just say, like, I have a word from the Lord. I rarely, if ever, I never want to put words in God's mouth. I never want to be careful there. We were sitting with some good friends, and all of a sudden, it was just like impact, like God was like, you need to, you need to say this now. And I was like almost shaken by it. Like it, it wouldn't get out of my head. It wouldn't get out, out of my heart. And it was this story from Mark chapter 2. And since that day, about a month and a half ago, like I cannot leave this story, okay? So Mark chapter 2, Jesus heals a paralytic, okay? Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. You guys there? Okay. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. This is well, what we call a Jesus party. And he was preaching the word to them. This is pretty cool, right? Like, uh, this is like some of our lot families. Like, the word's being taught. You can't get another a person in. Okay? And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof Above him, and this has been the point in the story, as I've preached this story many times, where like I really focus. Look at the determination of the friends, right? I mean, they want to get their friend to Jesus, and that's all that I've communicated. And so they're so dedicated, so desiring, even so faithful that they're willing to like you know open up the roof so that they can get their friend before Jesus. Uh, but honestly, like that piece of the story is so less significant than what's to come. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic. Son, your sins are forgiven. Have you ever just stopped to think about that line before? With the recognition of when this line is coming in terms of the timeline of the gospel? 
has Jesus died yet? Like this right, should be one time where you're like, um, I really don't understand much about the Bible, but no, okay? Like the red letters he's talking here, hasn't died yet, hasn't resurrected, and yet he's giving this indication to, to this paralytic and everyone in the room that through himself, sins will be forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? They call him a man, lowercase. He is, blas- uh, he is blaspheming. Look at this. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They have that right. Amen? They have that right. And, and I want to I just pause here and say this. Um, you can have certain pieces of your doctrine uh, right and be dead wrong. Are you guys with me? Okay, you can have pieces of the puzzle right. But if the right pieces of that puzzle collectively don't put together something, then you're literally looking at the Savior in the face and saying only God can forgive sins as they look at the manifestation, the image of God right in the eye. He is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, look at this, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they questioned uh, with themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? That had to be a cool moment, right? They're just thinking these things, right? Some of you spouses feel this all the time, right? You're like just thinking something. Your spouse is like, why are you thinking that? Especially wives to husbands. How do you know this? Right? Like how does this transfer? I, I wish I had that power with you because it would help when you're crying. Uh, which is? <laughs> which is easier, verse 9 says. Listen to this. To say to, to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and what's the word? And walk. But that you may know that the, man, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And what does verse 12 say? And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. And they start worshiping and glorifying God. So God puts this word on my heart, and I'm speaking this to my friends. And I'm telling you, as the words are coming out of my mouth, like, it started this massive journey for me. Um, so... If the man stays on the mat, so if Jesus says, hey, pick up your mat and walk, and he stays there because he's paralyzed, he thinks, right? He's like, I'm not, Jesus, I appreciate the words, but I'm not going to move. I'm I'm not believing that when I, like, get off this mat that I'm going to be able to walk, agree or disagree, he could literally stay there the rest of his life. Even though Jesus was like, like, pick up your mat, man. Let's go. It's, it's time to go. Like, we, we, like you're, you're completely healed. Right. Um, so I was thinking about this uh, scripture. We know that uh, the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to, and the word is nothing. Uh, so let me ask you this. Uh, when I hear believers who are struggling with pornography or eating disorders or jealousy or gossip, I'll often hear us use language like, um, for the believer hey, we need to pray for healing from, from that pornography. But, but hasn't Jesus already crucified the old self? But hasn't Jesus already said, pick up your mat and walk? Or, or I'll, I'll meet with friends, you know, who are like, Mark, I just, could you please pray for healing? I just, you know, I'm really, really struggling with, um, and you named the sin. And 100%, like, I, I would always just, yes, let's pray for healing. But what if it's actually the learning of how to walk as one who's been healed and not healing itself? Like, like 
the, the man maybe was, was going to need a little bit of help here, wasn't he? Like he's been paralyzed. So when he gets off the mat, first of all, he has his mat with him. But like, don't you think he, like he's maybe stumble a few steps? Maybe like the image in your mind is when a baby starts to walk. But, but pretty soon as the baby starts to walk, okay, they, they, start, to, um, they start to get better at it. Or, or rather, they, they seem more sturdy. Okay. Now, um, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that people don't need healing in Christ. Uh, let me give you some examples. Do you need healing from wrongs that have been done to you? Do you need healing from that, believers in the room? Okay, 100%. Right? In fact, there have been some things um, that others have done to you that has even contributed to their sin. But does that make your sin any less your responsibility? Somebody... No, okay, but it does mean that, you know, maybe for instance, a big struggle for you is an eating disorder, and there were all kinds of contributing factors. The eating disorder, that sin, okay, God's sovereignty does not negate personal responsibility. That sin is 100 your sin, but the healing then is asking God to heal these wounds that, or maybe the, the pieces that others have contributed, the damaging things that have been said, or the, uh, the, the misunderstanding of the gospel itself. Uh, let's take a physical ailments, right? Okay, many in our body are suffering with cancer. Many in our body are suffering with uh, de degenerative diseases and all, all kinds of things. Do we pray for healing for that for the believer? Friends, yes, of course. Okay, we seek healing. We go to the one who can heal. But if Romans 6.6 6 is true, that the old man has been crucified on the cross, can we just agree that means that our sin in Christ was crucified? Can we agree? Now, I want to I now wrestle with you because now some of you guys are like, yeah, but Mark, I still sin. Okay, let me explain this. And we, we explain this, I feel like, every week in some regard, but let's take it from this vantage point, okay? Uh, I, in Christ, have a, rege a, a regenerated spirit, okay? I'm a, I've been made new, but for here and now, my flesh hasn't, correct? You're like, yes, for sure. Like, look at your flesh, right? Okay? Yes, it's, it's not been made new, all right? But my spirit has. It's regenerated. It's, it's new. I, I'm, I'm in him. The old is gone. The new has come. Like all those things we can stand on systematically from the scripture. So what, what's happening is, is my regenerate spirit is still in, for lack of a better term, an unregenerate flesh. There will be a day when that flesh will be regenerate as well. And all things will be made new. Agree? Okay. But until that day, there's this tension that arises. That's why Romans 12, Paul says, right? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? By the renewing of your mind, okay? So there's still this tension between spirit and mind and flesh, and how does all this work out, okay? But in the eyes of God, which is what's important here, in the eyes of God, through Christ, I have been healed of my sin. God no longer, because he can't be near sin, correct? He can't be near it. Okay? So I no, longer am, am, I no longer am seen through the lens of my sin. I'm now seen through the perfection and imputed righteousness that has come on me through Jesus. Okay, So now my whole journey of walking in him is learning how to walk as one who has been healed from sin. And the tension that arises, the, the Romans 7, Paul wrestling with, you know, all these things that are still going on, the war even scripturally is this. I have a regenerate spirit and an unregenerate, again, for lack of a better term, flesh that's awaiting something new in full redemption in Jesus. But as this tension uh, works itself out, I'm in Christ, the son or a daughter. 
And so now I'm picking up my mat and I'm, I'm learning how to walk in him. I think this changes the way we talk. Um, I think this changes to make a poem, how we walk. <laughs> um, think about all the conversations that you've had, right? About sin and you've prayed for healing instead of being like, no, that's been crucified on the cross of Christ. Let's celebrate that reality. But Mark, I'm wrestling with it. Let's pray that you'll learn how to walk as one who's been healed. Let's pray that like, you'll be loosed because what scripture says is what? So that we would no longer be what? Be enslaved to sin. Like, I'm no, listen, in Christ, I'm no longer under the tyranny of sin. I am no longer under that tyranny. Are we together? I'm no, like, it doesn't hold me any longer. Okay. Like, this kind of language must infiltrate the church. Because if not, then our perspective of healing, our perspective of sin, our perspective of what it means to walk in him will be forever jaded. Because when Paul writes to the church in Colossae, walk in him, it has this implication of daily. That this is a daily journey. This is a daily, uh, for lack of a better term, process. Okay. So it's beautiful. So as we like continue here, I just, I want you to ask yourself in here, in Christ, has that piece of my identity changed? And maybe as we go on uh, through the scripture here, um, even just the words like pick up your mat, maybe those words will um, resonate in your heart. So let's go back to Colossians. So much more work to do. Verse 6 again, Therefore, as you received a Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Uh, the next word is, what's the word there? Rooted. Okay. Well, the word rooted in the tense, and, and more specifically, just straight from the Greek, uh, the Greek, means we've been rooted. Okay, so we receive Jesus, we begin relationship with the Lord, as we saw last week, we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, and at that moment in time, we've been rooted. I've said in a different way, when we're in the palm of his hands, it's not like a piece of wind can take us out. Once we're his son or a daughter, we don't then become an orphan. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, I don't, I don't leave the sonship of Christ. Once I'm his kid, he doesn't abandon me. He doesn't kick me, on, he doesn't kick me to the curb. Okay. So when the word says that, that I've been rooted, it, it means that that's something that I have now in Christ. Well, what are the roots? Well, Scripture would say that, that the word, God's word, has been written on our heart. That now we're led by the Spirit of God because the Spirit has sealed us. We're now in Christ and the gift of being in Christ is being filled with the Spirit of God. And so the roots then are this word with the spirit as it's working itself out. All of those things are ours now in Christ. We are rooted, but the next word, look at this, is really interesting, rooted and built up. We're rooted in Christ, that's given to us, but we're being built up. Uh, how, many of you guys, how many of you guys grew up in a home where you kept track of uh, everyone's height um, on like the doorpost? Any you guys? Okay, yeah, 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 right on, right on. It's, it's kind of fun, right? And, you, you know, you see the progress like second and third and fourth grade, and you can see your heights. And, um, but eventually, eventually what happens? Eventually you stop growing up, right? Like eventually that, that process ends, okay? For me, uh, oh, hold on, let me say it this way. Do you guys remember the sixth grader who had the mustache? Was that, was that any of you guys? All right. Like, all of a sudden, homeboy just showed up at school, and you're like, whoa. 
there's that magic marker up on there, right? And you're like, you're getting a little bit closer to him. And, and it, the sixth grade mustache always doesn't look like real hair, right? I mean, it's just kind of weird looking, you know? And a couple of sixth graders in my school, like, they rock that thing, right? I mean, that hair, their hair was like in their mouth, you know? But they were like, dude, I'm sixth grade. I got facial hair, so all the rest of you, right? I mean, it was just that kind of cool thing. And it seems like, it seems like that, that maybe they're mature. It's interesting that most of the folks that like matured physically faster uh, that I went to school with didn't seem to like catch up um, emotionally. Was that true for you? Like some of the most um, immature folks were those who in sixth grade, you know, had pecks of steel and mustaches and stuff. Um, I guess what I'm saying is I think we have a really distorted view of maturation in, in Christ. I celebrate that we're in a body that we have some 21-year-olds in here who do not let anyone look down on them because they are young, but they actually set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and impurity. I'm thankful for young, strong, uh, persistent, pursuant believers in this room who uh, aren't afraid to express their faith in a very uh, passionate, real way. I'm also simultaneously very thankful, as I always am here, and we always are here, for the seasoned folks here, uh, the folks that God has has given us to, uh, to look to and say, man, you've lived a, a very seasoned life. Man, you're, you've been married 30 plus years and you have some gray hair and you fought some wound. Like, let us learn from you. Okay. But the question is, how do we mature in Jesus? How do we grow? Okay, so if we're rooted, if that's ours in Christ, but we're being built up, it, it describes this kind of, this process, Right? Well, the rest of verse 7 gives us some indication. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, like that, that the more that you mature, the more that you grow, there's this establishment of trust. Just as you are taught, so there's a teaching, and here's the scripture, abounding in thanksgiving. So you're rooted, you're built up, you're established in the faith, you have this, just as we taught you, and then it seems like almost even the the fruit of all of that is abounding in thanksgiving. So um, I want to look at maturation from a little bit of a different perspective, if that's cool. When we're rooted in Christ, when we're rooted in the word, what happens in our regenerate spirit, in our heart, in the new creation part of it, is we submit to the Lord as king. And we stop bending the knee to the culture. So what happens is we start like, yes, I'm rooted in you. Like your word is better than life. Like I, your word is true. You're, you're, uh, we're, like we're to now understand this word in terms of our life. And so you begin to submit to that. And then what happens is in humility, you watch your stuff like starting to be built up. And I say in humility because you know that the building up or the maturation or the growth is happening because of God in you, the spirit in you. And this is where many of us have gone errant. You got on a knowledge pursuit, and then because you could quote more passages than the next Christian, you thought you were a better Christian. I experienced this as a junior in high school. I've shared this story many times. Six of my good buddies were like, we're never going to drink, smoke, you know, have sex, or listen to rock and roll, right? Rock and roll may have not been in there. I just threw that in there for whatever sake, right? But we had this pact, never going to drink, never going to smoke, never, like all these things, never going to have sex. And one by one, my friends started, uh, my, my friends started falling and failing. And, and, in, and one night, it was uh, um, our junior year at the, kind of the end of the football season, they invited me to a campfire, which I didn't know at that point meant, like, 
let's go camp out, which meant, hey, mom and dad, we're going to go camp and drink and, and, you know, get, and I didn't know this, okay, so I go out there and there's an, a nice campfire and everyone's got brewskis and I was, I was, they're like, Mark, you want one? No, no, you know, and we're all sitting around there and I, I get this, like, in my heart, this self-righteousness mentality. Like, I've matured well beyond any of you. But in actually what happens in maturity in Christ is you become more humble. I remember what the scripture says about Jesus, humbling himself even to what? Even to death. That in Christ, there's this, this growing level of, apart from you, I'm nothing. So I've been trying as best as I can to learn and pray and teach my children this. I want to share something with you that a good brother has encouraged me with as well, and I've, I've shared with a few of you guys. But when I go home on a Wednesday night, often what happens is I have a tombstone pizza, okay? And I think you'd agree with me, like, the Lord has done good things through the tombstone pizza. It's just a good pizza, isn't it? And it's, there's something about that sauce and that cheese. And, mm. There have been times... Where I've gone home and I've eaten that pizza, and I thought to myself, as the warm slices are being progressed to my mouth, right? I thought to myself, I deserve this pizza. <laughs> it's midnight. I've preached two sermons. I woke up super early. I worked all day long for the kingdom of God. I mean, I you know, I even I even like took out the trash and I did this and that. And I like I'll start like listing all the things that I've done for the day. And then I look at this pizza, I'm like, that's right, Lord. Right? Like, I deserve me a little R&R. I deserve a little me time. Now, I'm not saying this is all the time, but what I am saying is that exact moment can be holy and it can be very sinful. In other words, there's nothing inherently sinful, at least for the most part, about Tombstone Pizza. Like, it can be a complete grace and and, and given uh, to enjoy, and there's many things on this earth like that. We can enjoy them. But if the attitude of our heart is, I submit to you, rooted, I'm built up on my efforts, and then because of my building up that I've done myself, then God, I deserve everything that I would ever ask or want. Then on your greatest days of service, or the times you get home from the mission trip, or men, the times when you get home from a long day at work and your kids are longing for your attention and you have the audacity to say, I just need 10 minutes of me time. When did me time start? When did it start? Because I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that my flesh was crucified on the cross of Christ. I'm pretty sure that I was bought at a price. Is anybody with me that... That there was a ransom that was paid for my heart and my spirit and my soul that, that God has done a work to now call me his son. And that at that point, in all freedom, my time was gone. And from that point on, it was 100% his time. It was his calendar. They were his seconds. This was his life. Maturation in Christ is seen when believers... Not just growing in knowledge of his character, but in a transformative understanding of his character, being led by the Spirit, are driven to humility and submission, and are seeing their lives, as verse 7 said, abounding in thanksgiving. I deserve nothing. It's all grace. And so, God, I celebrate today again. I don't need me time. 
So am I saying that we sh shouldn't go on vacations? Not saying that. I'm just saying what's your attitude of your heart on it? Oh, yeah, man. Whoo! You've had a long season. You deserve that vacation. No, I don't. I, I don't deserve anything. I mean, the thing that I deserved was death. But thankfully, because of what Christ has done, now all of a sudden I have life. But I, I still don't deserve um, any of this. He's graced it to me. It's a gift. And I'm going to live in light of it. The maturing Christian, I think, in many of our circles has been seen as this person that can spout off scriptures and isn't the one who's cleaning up dinner at the end. Look at the life of Jesus. Humble, humble, humble life. Coupled with this sanctifying, growing maturation, not in Christ, but now in Christ us, that we get to watch the Lord work. And the end of verse 7 says, abounding in thanksgiving, the fruit of all this kind of life is seen. Verse 8, he goes on, uh, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Any, any of the rest of you, the worst college course ever? Philosophy? I mean, I remember sitting through that class, and all I heard that whole semester was, blah, 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 like, Spirio, or whatever his name was, and Filio, you know, Michael Jordan, blah, 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 like, I just, he was a great philosopher in the 90s. <laughs> well, philosophy, philosophy literally means, uh, Filio, which is, it means love, okay, and uh, Sophia Wisdom, it's the love of wisdom. Okay. But what's happened here in the church in Colossae, and I, we've been alluding to this week in and week out, is, is like on the borders of the very small town, there is this, this heresy that's going to start coming in. And what the heresy is, is it's going to very slightly, as we saw last week, like a Christmas present, very slightly it's going to teach people a different way than Jesus and so what Paul is saying is, see to it that no one takes you captive by this kind of philosophy. And what he's, um, what he's encouraging is, if you're not maturing in Christ, if you're not submitting to his lordship, if you're not watching the Lord bear fruit and humility out of your life, if, if the roots aren't bearing fruit, right, then you're going to be so susceptible to nice-sounding philosophies and words, and what all those philosophies are trying to point to is that there is another way. There's another way for hope. There's another way to dream. There's another way to live. There's another way to access certain comp uh, compartments of knowledge that aren't in Jesus. Right? And many uh, college students sit in those philosophy classes, and it's the first time that they're like, huh, that's interesting. Like, maybe that is. Right? And what I've noticed about a lot of philosophy, even though certainly there's some very sound philosophy, that it just seems like a lot of it is like empty talk, okay? And so he, he says this very thing. I see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Isn't it interesting that the danger of tradition was just as dangerous uh, 1,900, 2,000 years ago as it is today? Just because it's a tradition, that doesn't make it right. What are traditions right now in our culture or in your family that need to be adjusted and you've just gotten used to them, right? I'm not necessarily talking about Thanksgiving, right? You're like, Mark, don't think, take Thanksgiving away, you know? <laughs> like, that's the gold mine, Mark. You don't understand. Like, that's the only time we see great Aunt Mildred who makes the mashed potatoes. Like, I'm not saying those kinds of things. But I'm saying, what are ways that you grew up that now you've watched those traditions permeate in your family that you just do because they were done? 
then maybe you need to sit back and say, yeah, I'm not so sure that that, that actually is a, is a tradition that is um, bolstering the name of Jesus, okay? According to the elementary spirits of the world is one of the most debated um, understandings of this whole text in Colossians. What is elementary uh, spirits of the world? Like, like what is that? Um, basically what he's saying is, and, and some commentators would say this is kind of like the ABCs of of uh, understanding, others have said this is like earth, wind, and fire, and like the, the great band. Um, what, anyway, um, but there is this level of kind of the, the basis of existence is what he's saying, okay? So according to the elementary spirits of the world, and he, here's the main point, and not according to Christ. So anything that is trying to teach or talk or shift or grow your maturity Away from Jesus, you already have all that you need. In other words, you've already been healed. And now verse 9, my friends, things get incredibly heavy. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Our third in him of this text. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God, making yet one more mention, as he's already done through this whole book of Colossians, this whole letter, Jesus is fully God and fully man, And look at this, and you, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and what? And authority. So this fourth in him, now you have been filled in him, and this kind of works both ways. Like we're filled in now his body as the church collectively, now being a member of many parts in the body of Christ, but at the same time we're filled in him with him. Because the Spirit now resides in us. Uh, So in Scripture when it says uh, he has not given us a spirit of timidity but of power, of love, and of self-control. Now all of a sudden my dream of wouldn't it be nice starts to come a little bit clearer. Can I ask you guys this? What are you doing? Like do any of you feel like right now you just wake up every single day and at the end of the day you're you just feel like you're getting trucked by life. Do you feel like your life is not significant at all? It's like, man, one day I'm going to wake up and it's going to be like 44. And my kids will be in school and, and, and then maybe we'll have more time. And then... And the perspective is, by your power and for your glory... You need to understand how to grow in Christ so that maybe one day you can live as though your life isn't your own. Don't be jaded by empty philosophy. You're rooted. You're going to be built up. You can grow. You can mature. Work really hard. Maybe one day you'll get there. And what I'm, what I'm reading here is, is that the power of Christ is in me. Like the real power, the, the one who has rule and authority, who's the head of it all. Is in me. Which means like somehow mysteriously, it's not just wouldn't it be nice if all of a sudden I realized that my life wasn't my own. I have the thing inside of me in Christ that is the moment by moment daily walking out reminder that this is not mine. My time is not mine. My life is not mine. My kids are not mine. My wife 
is not mine. What does it mean then for me just to say literally, not just in word or not just in thought or not just in a nice Beach Boy song, it's God here. I've always struggled how to teach that or how to communicate that or how more than just a motivational talk to say, hey, listen, our life's not our own. And tonight I feel like I understand it more clearly than ever. The power of Christ is in me. I've been healed from the former ways. Like I'm holding my mat. And yeah, like maybe this is a reminder, a reminder of what I used to be. But that's not who I am anymore. And the accusations that we learned about several weeks ago, they try to keep saying, put the mat back down. Like you're still paralyzed in fear, aren't you? Like that one sin, man, it's not letting go. Put the mat back down. You need to sit back down. And yet, what is the implications on the body of Christ? You're healed. You are healed now in Christ. The old man is gone. You're not enslaved any longer to sin. The, ty- the, the, the tyrant nature of sin has no more grip on you. And so then the man that I always longed to be, I feel like has become more real. No need to turn there. Just listen to this. At the end of Acts chapter 7, uh, this man named Stephen just drops it. Just preaches boldly in front of the council, this angry mob. I mean, he just goes for it. Okay, And just after his speech, listen to this. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. Could you imagine that? Like, he's literally hearing the real human grinding of teeth in anger at him. But the scripture says in verse 55, listen to this. But he, Stephen... Full of the, you guys know the story, full of the what? Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of Christ in him. Full of the roots of the word of God that have been written on his heart. Full of the growing and maturation that's already happened in Christ. The humility that's being extended. Full of the Holy Spirit. Look at this. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, as these people are like rushing at him, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It's like somehow in this very contentious moment, he still is focused on, my life's not mine. I'm so thankful it's his. The glory of God, the glory of the renown, he's real. But they, verse uh, verse 57, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, the scripture said, and rushed together at him. So here's this man seeing the image of the Son of Man, seeing all the glory of God, and he's watching people stuff their ears, and then they're literally running at him. Did he know this was going to happen? Probably not. Did it affect his preaching? No, because in his preaching to the glory of Christ. Does the thought of dying right now affect his ministry? No, because he knows his life is in his own to the glory of Christ. My I don't need me time. I don't need R&R time. And I'm not saying we don't rest in him. Certainly we have rest in him. And it's the matter of the heart that we see in Stephen. My life was bought at a price. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And when stoning happens in the scripture, they basically dig out this large pit and they put you in there. And you look up and you start watching these massive stones come on you. 
And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my... Anyone know the word? Receive my spirit. Receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He forgives. Why? Because he's walking in him. He understands that his life is not his own. He, in the moment of his preaching, isn't like, man, I really need to go home tonight. I really need to love on my children tonight. I really need to be with my wife tonight. So you know what? I'm going to live a little bit more cautiously, even though I know the hand of God is calling me to something very specific. I'm not demeaning kids. I'm not demeaning my wife or yours, all I'm saying is, Paul's point in Colossians chapter 2 is, everything you have is in Christ. And that's either true or not. You're either healed or not. The old self is either dead or not. So, um, at the end of all this, there's this longing in my heart to be Stephen. And I've always kind of like thought it was a distant pipe dream. Maybe one day. And the more and more I'm learning a new way to see the reality of the truth of the scripture, I have the same spirit that Stephen did. The question is, am I, am I walking in light of my healing like he was? So I ask you now. The sin that in your mind you've allowed to convince yourself that is your identity Please hear this. In Christ, it is not. The blood dripped down, the blood spilt. An empty tomb has erased all of that so that the new you, the changed, regenerate spirit in you can now walk in freedom in him, filled with him for his glory. So tonight we're going to celebrate as people who've been healed. As people who are ready to commit to say, Lord, I I just, I really want to put my life at your feet. So have your way with me, Lord. So I'm going to invite some friends of mine to come up here. And um, I've asked uh, some of our seasoned folks here in the body of uh, Matthias to serve us a communion tonight. These are friends of mine that in our body represent um, an understanding of, of maturation and, and journey and, man, have lived um, lives of walking in him and for him. And um, so tonight, this meal is for believers. And this meal, we, we pull off a piece of the bread and we dip it in the cup. And in this meal, we, we take and we celebrate As people who have been healed, we celebrate this new identity. We look to Christ as a celebration of this. So as you come up to one of these folks, again, in Christ, and as you walk, I pray that your prayer would be, God, help me walk in you. God, thank you for allowing me to be rooted in you. God, fill my heart with thanksgiving. Lord, give me a boldness that I've never had or experienced before. 
I pray that as you make this walk tonight, that there's something uh, happening in your heart that just says, God, I, just, I desire your will more than anything else. So whatever it means for me that you would be glorified, then so be it, Lord. Let's just as a body tonight say, God, have your way with us. Respond when you're ready, church.